And so, and so part of the reason why I think many believers don't commit to the reading of scripture is because we've been taught that it's enough just to show up on Sunday and to get your 30 minute sermon and to take notes when there's much more to your faith walk and to your own spiritual development and your spiritual growth, which is your own discipline in the reading of the word, um, uh, in, in the daily reading of the word. And then the, the second reason I think is because, and I think it's partly related to the first reason. The second reason I think people do don't discipline themselves in the reading of the word is because it's intimidating for a lot of believers. Uh, because again, the culture that we've created in the church is we've created a, a culture in the church that says that you can't understand the word without the assistance of someone who's received a higher level of education in the word. Um, that's unfortunate because now what we've left the teaching of the word to is the spiritual professional. And so we submit ourselves in such a way where we don't even get into the word unless someone else is telling us what the word says. When the reality is, is our understanding of scripture and our understanding of the word comes out of the instigation of the Holy Spirit. It comes out of the Holy Spirit moving in us and through us. And so um, what I want to do, and for those of you who are here for the first time, my primary objective really is to get you just to sit down and to read it. And I'm not asking for you to understand every nuance, every element of the scripture and of the text. There's so much um, uh, um, depth in the text, so much breadth in the text. And so I understand that, but that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to understand every um, dimension of what you're reading. I'm just asking you just to simply sit and read it because when you simply sit and read it, it is a transformative activity. It transforms you. The word of God transforms you. It's a spiritual text. It's not an intellectual text. It's a spiritual text. And so if we can just back away from just trying to understand it intellectually and simply posture ourselves, where in our reading. We're having an encounter with God to say, Lord, speak to us in this moment. Don't ever open your Bible without expecting God to speak. You need to open your Bible expecting to hear from God. You need to open your Bible expecting to hear the Lord speaking. And so that's what we're here to do. We're going to ask three questions. And and, and for those of you who, who, who are here for the first time, we've been doing this for the past, I don't know, three months now. Um, we've gone through the entire New Testament, spending half a Netflix episode a day reading through Scripture, literally 20 to 30 minutes a day reading Scripture. And then uh, and then I'll rant for another 20, 30 minutes to show you just to speak into whatever the Lord is speaking into me as I meditate on the word for the day. So you're technically eavesdropping into my moment, uh, my morning discipline that I spend in the reading of the word. I figure, you know, what? let me have you guys join along with me as I read the word and that you can read along with me. So I'm sharing this moment with you. But I believe this is what you should all do. And so one guy, one method of guidance as you navigate because we've read through the um has it been that long jason seriously oh man i don't know man i've lost track now um but we we uh we're reading we read through the new testament now we're reading through the old testament we've read through genesis exodus and now we're reading through Leviticus. So uh, with that being said, um, we're in Leviticus chapter 23. So I want to encourage you just to go there real quick um, to go to Leviticus uh, chapter 23. And I want you to read along with me as I read. And then afterwards, I'll share whatever thoughts the Lord is convicting me of, whatever is sticking out to me as I read, because I'm going to be reading and praying as I read. I'm prayerfully reading. And I want to encourage you to do that as well for the Lord to speak to you. That's, that's, that's why we're here. 
We're here to, I'm here at least to empower you in reading the scripture. And you'll see if you discipline yourself. And I know there are many of you who've been doing this with, with me from the beginning who have all attested to, man, this has been a game changer for me. This has been a life changer. This has transformed my life. Just reading. That's it. Just reading has transformed my life. And so that's what I want to do. I want to see your life transformed simply through reading the word, to learn that the power is in you, within you. The Holy Spirit can convict you. The Holy Spirit can inspire you and conform you to the image of Christ. And so that's why we're here. And that's what we came here to do. And then I'll leave a word of encouragement. And if time affords, um, if time affords, I will uh, sometimes I'll spend time in prayer. So I'll pray with you guys. I may spend time just prophetically praying over you. Um, now I think I can actually bring people on to like speak with me. So that may be something I do. I don't know. Maybe I'll do that today. Hmm. Maybe I'll do that today. Bring some people on, pray for you and see where the Lord leads in that. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But I want you guys to read with me, okay? And I want for every believer to say that they read through the entire Bible. That's my motivation. So today we're going to spend about 20 minutes reading, and then we're going to spend another 20, 30 minutes um, uh, ruminating over the text, reflecting over the text. And then afterwards, we'll see whatever time is afforded to us to um, to spend in prayer um, as we close out our time together today. So with that being said, I open with these three questions. What is... God revealing in this reading today? What is God revealing to us concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? What is God revealing concerning me? Okay. This is what I want you asking. What is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? What is God revealing concerning me? Pray into that, that the Lord would inspire you in this moment. Father, I ask as we engage in your word today, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would bless us in this time. I pray that you would um, inspire us with your voice, Lord. Speak, Lord, through your text. Lord, speak to us. Speak to each and every one of us, Father. I pray that you would encounter us today. Lord, I I'm already sensing, Lord, uh, a profound uh, presence, not just here manifest in this time that I'm spending with you in the reading of the word, but even through this time that's being spent along with these people who are here. Father, I just pray that you would speak to us, speak to them, embrace them in this time in the word. I thank you for what you're about to do. And I say that in your name, we pray. Amen. Let's do it. Leviticus 23, verse one, it says this. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. 
These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Supper. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land, which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of, first, of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. You shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. And on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil and an offering made to sorry, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma in and its drink offering shall be of wine one fourth of hen. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God and it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the seventh, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day of the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer with bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with the grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of peace offering. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering to the Lord. With the two lambs, they shall be holy to the Lord for the priests. And you shall proclaim the same day that it is holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap. Nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Hmm. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, also the 10th day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall do no work on that same day for it is the day of atonement to make atonement 
for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on the same day shall be cut off from his people. Any person who does who does any work on the same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at the evening from evening to evening. You shall celebrate your Sabbath. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, the 15th day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. There shall be no customary work on it. For seven days, you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Hold on a second. It is a sacred assembly, and you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and drink offering, everything on its day. Besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, and besides all your freewill offerings, which you give to the Lord. Also, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day, there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days you shall eat yeah sorry you shall keep it as a feast to the lord for seven days in the year it shall be a statute forever in your generations you shall celebrate it in the seventh month you shall dwell in booths for seven days all who are native israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that i made the children of israel dwell in booths when i brought them out of the land of egypt i am the Lord, your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel, the feast of the Lord. Chapter 24. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives for light to make the lamps burn continually. Outside the veil of testimony in the tabernacle of meeting, Aaron shall be in charge of it from evening until morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. He shall be in charge of the lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord continually. And you shall take fine flour and bake twelve cakes with it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. You shall set them in two rows, six in a row. On the pure gold table before the Lord, you shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be on the bread for memorial. An offering made by fire to the Lord every Sabbath shall set in order before the Lord continually. 
being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord, made by fire by a perpetual statute. By a perpetual statute. Now the son of an Israelite woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel, and this Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought each other in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelomith, the daughter of Debri of the tribe of Dan. Then they put him in custody that the mind of the Lord might be shown to them. Hmm. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take outside the camp him who has cursed. Then let all who hear him lay their hands on his head and let the congregation stone him. Then you shall speak to the children of Israel saying, whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. And whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall surely stone him. The stranger as well as him who is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. Hmm. Whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. Sorry. Take this out. Whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good. Animal for animal. If a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor, as he has done, so shall it be done to him, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. And whoever kills an animal shall restore it, but whoever kills a man shall be put to death. You shall have the same law for the stranger and for one from your own country, for I am the Lord your God. Then Moses spoke to the children of Israel and they took outside the camp him who had cursed and stoned him with stones. So the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. Let's see where we're at here. Okay. Um, Yeah, let me read. I'll read 25. And then what what we'll do is is we'll close out with 26 and 27 tomorrow. And we'll be done with the book of Leviticus. And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land, which I give you, then the land shall then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years, you shall sow your field and six years, you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But the seventh year. There shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest to the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard, which grows of its own accord of your harvest. You shall not reap nor gather the grapes of your untended wine, for it is a year of rest for the land. The Sabbath produce of the land, Sabbath, sorry, the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you. For you, your male and female servants, your hired man, and the stranger who dwells with you. For your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, 
all its produce shall be for food. And you shall count seven Sabbaths, seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years. And the time of the seven Sabbaths of the years shall be to you forty nine years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound. And on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all the land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all the inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to his possession. And each of you shall return to his family. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you. In it, you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your uh, untended wine, for it is jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its fruit and produce from the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession and you shall and you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand. You shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after Jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor. And according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price. And according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price. For he sells to you according to the number of years of the crops. Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God. For I am the Lord, your God. Hmm. So you shall observe my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them. And you will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit and you will yield your fill and dwell there in safety. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? Since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce. Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and I will bring forth produce for another three years. And you shall sow in the, se- in the eighth year and eat all produce until the ninth year, until its produce comes in. You shall eat of the old harvest. Hmm. The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant redemption of the land. If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, let him count the years since its sale and restore the remainder to the man to whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. But if he is not able to restore it to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, it shall be released and he shall return to his possession. (laughs) If a man sells a house in a walled city, that he may redeem it within a whole year after it is sold. Within a full year, he may redeem it. But if it is not redeemed within the space of a full year, then the house in the wall city shall become permanently to him who bought it throughout his generations. It shall not be released in the Jubilee. However, the houses of villages which have no wall around them 
shall be counted as fields of the country. They may be redeemed and they shall be released in the Jubilee. Nevertheless, the cities of the Levites and the houses in the cities of their possession, the Levites may redeem at any time. And if any man purchases a house from the Levites, then the house that was sold in the city of his possession shall be released in the Jubilee. For the houses of the cities of the Levites are their possession among the children of Israel, but the field of the common land of their cities may not be sold for their perpetual possession. If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or sojourner that he may live with you. Take no ushery or interest from him. But fear your God that your brother may live with you. You shall not lend him your money for ushery, nor lend him your food at a profit. I am the Lord your God. And if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. As a hired servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you. And shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall depart from you, he and his children with him, and he shall return to his own family, and he shall return to the possessions, to possession of his fathers, for they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him with rigor, but you shall fear your God. And as far as your male and female servants whom you have from the nations that are around you, from them you may buy male and female slaves. Moreover, you may buy the children of the strangers who dwell among you and their families who are with you, which they beget in your land. They shall become your property. And you may take them as inheritance for your children after you to inherit them as a possession. They shall become your permanent slaves. But regarding your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule over one another with rigor. Now, if a sojourner or a stranger comes to you, close to you becomes rich, and one of your brethren who dwells by him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner close to you, to a member of the stranger's family, after he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his uncle's sons may redeem him and anyone who is near of kin to him in his family may redeem him or if he is able to redeem himself. Ooh, I want to come back to that if I have time. Thus he shall reckon with him who brought him. The price of his release shall be according to the number of years from the year that he was sold to him until the year of Jubilee, and it shall be according to the time of the hired servant for him. If there are still many years remaining according to them, he shall repay the price of redemption from the money with which he was bought. And there shall remain but a few years until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall reckon him according to his years. He shall repay him the price of redemption. He shall be with him as a yearly hired servant, and he shall not rule with rigor over him in your sight. And if he is not redeemed in these years, then he shall release in the year of Jubilee, he and his children with him. For the children of Israel are servants to me, 
They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Whoo. Shannon, which part did you want me to come back to? Because there's a lot here. Um, I'm curious to know what part really stuck out to you. Um, let me preface by saying this. I don't come with anything prepared. I, I don't ever really come with anything prepared. I come simply with an open heart, with an open spirit to receive what the Lord wants to speak into me today. I want to point out two things that stick out to me, and I want to uh, address uh, some challenges that you may find in this particular scripture, Um, because there are some challenging parts of the scripture. And if you don't acknowledge that and that's difficult, then, you know, that would be unfair. Right. Uh, Yes. Understanding slavery and servitude. Yes. Okay. So I I figured that's where you were, Shannon. Um, So there's there there are a few things here and I want to preface and I'm going to say this and I'm going to iterate this again, probably tomorrow, because it's our last day and we're going to be finishing out Leviticus tomorrow. Um, so guys, congratulations. We've read through Leviticus now, and then we're going to go into numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then we're going to go to numbers and we're going to keep reading through the entire, um, old Testament until we get to the new Testament. And then we'll just keep on reading moving forward. And I hope, um, I hope that this will bring a light to how you perceive the entire scripture. Um, many people, so my preface before I begin, because there's so much here, like in these, in these three chapters that we read, there's a lot here. I, it's important. It is critical for me to remind you that Leviticus was written to the children of Israel. It wasn't written to you. It was written to the children of Israel. When we read it, we have to read it with a degree of separation. Meaning you don't insert yourself into this reading that God is instituting these commands and these ordinances to you. Okay. These commands, these ordinances, this law that you see that's developing, that's being written here is not a law that is written to you but rather a law that was written to the children of Israel after they had made a covenant with God at Mount Sinai. They make a covenant with God at Mount Sinai. And in this covenant, God declares them to be a people, a nation of priests, distinct and separate from the world. He says, be holy for I am holy, distinct and separate from the world in order to reveal to the world what God is like. So essentially what God is doing is, is God is instigating his story through the children of Israel and that their rule would be a rule of submission and sacrifice as a nation of priests. So 
when we read Leviticus, you don't read it as laws written to you, but laws that were written to the children of Israel. They weren't laws written to because, you know, we read it and we go, okay, this, these are these are the things that Christians need to be doing. Absolutely not. They are laws that were written to a people that were set apart to usher in the grand narrative in the story that would reveal the fulfillment of that through the Hebrew that God has called to reconcile all men to himself. This is the story. This is the purpose for which God is instigating the story. And you're going to see this throughout the Old Testament. You will see it because even prophets, the, the, the stories of the prophets and the things that the prophets had to endure had a purpose to narrate the story of what God is doing for all his people. Okay. So they were essentially actors dramatizing the story of God and his people. Right. Hosea was told to go and find Gomer. Right. He's told to go to the whorehouse to get Gomer. And he's like, why would you do that? And God was saying, I needed them to see. I needed the children of Israel to see that they have played the harlot. But this is who I am for them. Even our lives. And this is important for us to understand this, that our lives are dramatizations. When we live our lives according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live our lives as dramatizations. We're dramatizing the story of God and his people. Our marriages must dramatize the story of God and his people. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That was the purpose for marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands. Or or the husband is the head of the wife. Not the head over the wife, but the head of the wife. How was Christ the head over the church? He was the head of the church through sacrifice and submission. Notice now. The grand narrative in the story, our marriages have purpose beyond our pleasure. Our relationships have purpose beyond our pleasure. Our resources have purposes beyond our pleasure. Our, our, everything we have, our assets, notice, have purpose beyond our possession and our pleasure. There was a greater story, a grander narrative to it. And that's what God wants to do. God wants to instigate his story through these people. It's important. It's critical because too many people lose sight of what the text is saying because they read it as if it was written to them. No, it was written to the children of Israel. Now, what for what purpose then is it for us? It's written to the children of Israel to reveal to us the story of of God, to reveal to us the story of God, but to also reveal to us the principles, the divine principles that God follows. Meaning, what what you'll see in the law and what you'll see in the um, in the Old Testament is is you're seeing now the nature of the holiness of God. The holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the perfection of God. Okay, the perfection of God. All this is critical. All this is important. All this is necessary if we're really going to understand who we are in him and to understand our identities in him. So. When we read it, we're reading these laws, understand there are principles behind those laws that are divine principles. And if those principles are divine principles, 
than their eternal principles. Right? If they're divine principles, they're eternal principles, meaning they always exist. Okay? They're not changing. It's like gravity. Gravity's not going to change. It is a law. Okay? Let me, let me help you understand this as well. And maybe this is going to help uh, bring insight to some of you. So you understand when we hear the word law, we think of laws as just rules to follow. Right and wrong. You follow those rules, right. If you disobey those rules, wrong. Western culture has done that. I know I'm, I'm going to be ranting before I even get to my point, but I felt like I had to go here. So let me make sure I, I bring clear, clarity to that. Western culture has turned the law into a legal system. The Hebrews didn't understand it that way. The Hebrews, the Israelites, when you when they read this text, do not understand the law as, you know, a legal right and wrong. Okay, that's not how it was understood. The law was understood as a system of reality. (sighs) Meaning it wasn't about right and wrong, but it was about cause and effect. Cause and effect. And what governed these laws was the very character of God. God, who never changes, leads to laws that never change. So one example of that family would be gravity, right? Gravity on earth doesn't change. You have exactly, there you go. It's the law of gravity. You don't obey gravity. You're submitted to gravity. (laughs) Okay. You don't, you don't get to choose whether you like gravity or not. Gravity is what you're confined to. It's the reality of what you're confined to. So the law is not right and wrong, but the law is the very thing that governs your very being and your very existence. That's why when Paul speaks about a law, there is a law and there's another law and there's a, So there's the law of the spirit and there's the law of sin. There's the law. These are, these are the forces that govern our very existence. So now if I run and I fall on my face, I can't blame gravity. Gravity is the consequence, but it's because I fell. Gravity caused me to fall. But if I prepared myself appropriately for the law itself, then I would be, I can't blame gravity for not being able to dunk. I wish I could dunk. I really do. Um, But I do not have the athletic, uh, 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 the athletic ability to dunk. I just can't, you know, I just can't. I'm not tall enough, whatever. Right. And so because of the law of gravity, I can't dunk. And often we blame gravity for that, but it's that I don't have the athletic ability to supersede and to overcome, right? The force of gravity. So reason why I'm bringing all this up is because when we look at the law, we're looking at the very things that govern both physical and spiritual existence. That's why I'm bringing this up. So the laws don't change. Okay. The laws do not change. I hope this is going to liberate some people today. The laws don't change, 
but our ability to navigate through the laws do. I cannot dunk. Maybe if I had trained for a certain period of time in my life, I would be able to overcome the law of gravity and dunk. Is everybody with me here? The law doesn't, there's no getting less gravity to dunk. I need either an assistance, a trampoline to do it. I'm staying on this analogy. I don't know why I'm here, but I'm going to stay on it. I need an assistance to do it, or I need to develop the physical strength to do it. But I know as of right now, because of the law, I cannot overcome the the force of gravity, the law of gravity. And so when we see the law here, we see a cho- we, we we see now what God is doing in the law is he's articulating to the children of Israel the very forces that govern all things spiritually and physically. So when we see the law spiritually and physically, it's it's relational. It's relational with one another and it's relational with God. Remember, I said this before, that Leviticus is a book that speaks into how an imperfect, unrighteous people can be brought back into access to a perfect, holy, and righteous God. That is what Leviticus is all about. Okay? And so God in the law, he's articulating the law to them to now allow them to see how they overcome the very things that the law holds them down to. (laughs) Are y'all catching me on that? I hope this is helpful because now you're going to understand when you read this, don't read it as a book of rules. Don't read it as a bunch of rules that are being instigated to you that if you break those rules, you um, you're, 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 you know, if you break those rules, you know, you're not a good Christian. And if you follow those rules then you're a good Christian, the reality is, is the law does not determine holiness and the law does not determine righteousness. What is the arbiter of holiness and righteousness is God. Only God determines it and only God can institute it and only God can declare it. What is holy and righteous? Good. All that's out the way. So when we read um, Leviticus 23, when we're reading Leviticus 23 or we're reading uh, Leviticus 24, we're reading through Leviticus 25, these three chapters that we just read here, we're beginning to see the, 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 the governing laws that embody the character of God. We see, um, if I go back here, the law of the Sabbath. That is a law. Okay. That is a law. Now watch this. It is a law. It is not a rule. Are you with me? It is a law. It is not a rule. And what a lot of believers miss on because they read this as if it is written to them, they read all the rules of when the Sabbaths must be observed, but they miss 
the law of the Sabbath. They read the rules of the Sabbath, but they miss the law of the Sabbath. Are y'all with me here? This is where um, you'll find uh, uh, like Seventh-day Adventists. This is where, right, and there may be some Seventh-day Adventists here. Um, or there are some other traditions as well that still follow the law as if it's a book of rules, not following the law, understanding that the law is a system. And so because they follow the law as a book of rules, they look and they go, well, the Bible says here in Leviticus 23, six days shall be done in verse three, uh, Leviticus 23, verse three, they'll say to you, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in your dwelling. And they read it as if it was written to them. It wasn't written to you, brother. It wasn't written to you, sister. It was written to the children of Israel. It was written to the children of Israel. You saw what they had to do, but you didn't see why they had to do it. You saw the what, but you didn't see the why. And because you didn't see the why, you don't understand the law. You just saw the rule. But when you back away from it, now you don't see the rule. You understand now that it wasn't just about the seventh day. Read through the text. As we're reading, it was a seventh day. Then it was a seventh year. Then it was a seventh of 70. Then, sorry, it was a seventh of seven. And we see the seven iterate over and over again, over and over again. And we're beginning to realize here that, hmm, maybe there's something more to it than just not doing work on Saturday. Maybe there's something more to this than just here are the rules. Which day is the Sabbath? Let's not work because the Bible says don't work in it. No, we're beginning to see something about the very nature and the very character of God. We're seeing that God is a God who disciplines himself in the order of rest. That's exactly right, Shannon, that God, by his own character, found rest to be a productive activity. It was a necessary part of living. He wanted them to rest. And in their time of rest, what did they do? They gave a sacrifice. See, here's the thing, right? If you're going to rest on the seventh day, and not work. Did you forget the other part of it? The other part of it is you had to bring a sacrifice to God. Which part do you choose? Do you just choose the rest or do you choose the sacrifice? This is the problem. When we look at the law, we start to pick and choose the things we do and don't do. No, it's either you do all of it or you do none of it. And remember what I told you guys yesterday, and maybe if you haven't caught the reading rant and you missed it, go check it out in our Facebook group. It's the font everywhere on Facebook. You can check out yesterday's reading rant. But what I tell you guys, remember what we said yesterday is I know we, we already got the cheat code. We read the New Testament. We have something better than the children of Israel. Right. We have something better than the children of Israel. We don't need the law because we have Christ. Christ fulfilled it. <laughs> 
<laughs> the law was inst initiating and preparing us for what God wanted to do. The law was God's way of bringing us back into his presence, not for us to follow rules and be compliant to him. But it was the methodology by which we would go back into the presence of God. So, so it's either you choose one or the other. Are you giving sacrifices? Because if you're giving sacrifices, what are you saying? You're saying the sacrifice of Christ isn't enough. And yet the Sabbath was, co was coincidental with sacrifice. How then do you choose one or the other? I've always, I've been confused by that. How do you choose one or the other? The scriptures tell us that they align together. So if you're going to not work on Saturday, make sure you bring your blood sacrifice as well. They both coincide here. But it's funny how we choose one and leave out the other. Notice the pride that we have when we pick out the rules in the Bible. We start choosing our own form of righteousness. That's just a side note. We start putting righteousness on a curve. We make holiness being perfect, but that's not what holiness is. We make holiness is to be distinct and to be separate, to be other than, which is why God is fundamentally holy because he is distinct from everything that exists. Therefore, it was never about what day for us to observe, but the principle that, that our rest coincides with the sacrifice. That resting coincided with sacrifice. Principle, guys, learn the principle. God's character. You cannot sacrifice without rest. You have to rest. Meaning now that rest is not a day you choose, but rest is a status that you're in. Um, scripture for that. We'd have to go through Hebrews again. Uh, and and, and we're, we're going to eventually go back to it. I'm giving you a heads up. I know I'm cheating here. I, that's the one thing we have is we got the cheat code because we, we've we read through the New Testament already. Um, but here we're seeing just a principle. Remember, you got to back away first. Read it, not as a letter written to you, but a letter that was written to the children of Israel. And this is what God was calling them to do, giving them daily reminders of the necessity to rest. They had to set the seventh day aside as a solemn day, a holy day. Notice when we think of holy, we think of holy as um, sacred and pure. And yes, it is sacred and yes, it is pure, but that's not what makes it holy. What made it holy was that it was distinct. The word holy just me meant separate. The, the word holy meant not like anything else. It was different. That day that was the holy day, right? He says, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. In verse three, he's saying, set that seventh day aside. This is my commandment to you. This will be your rhythm. Your rhythm will be on the seventh day you rest and you'll dedicate that time of rest to sacrifice. That's what we read here all through Leviticus 23. Every time now, not only the seventh day, now the seventh year. Now the seventh year will be a year of rest. <laughs> Notice, that's, in, that's here, right here in the chapter, in the same chapter. How is it, sorry if I rant, I'm ranting, I'm sorry, I'm ranting. But uh, let, me, let me just ask real quick. How is it that we choose which ones to pick? Like, how is it that we choose 
to rest on the seventh day, but how many of us rested on the seventh month? Anybody, sorry, on the seventh year. Anyone rested a whole year? Just did no work for a whole year? And yet that's what's here in the text. How is it that the seven times seven, 49 years hasn't been set aside? Why? Why do we choose one and not the other? I've always been, you know, I, I think we, we just haven't, by our own nature, we're looking for rules to follow because the rules are easier than relationship. That's another conversation for another day. So we see these ordinances and these practices and these things that God is asking the children of Israel to obey and rest being one of them. And I know this was a long drawn out uh, because I want to get to your point, Shannon. Give me a second, Shannon. Um, man, I'm out of time already. This is crazy. Resting was a common practice among the children of Israel. Resting was a common practice. And in those days, resting was a holy practice. And when I say holy, I'm not talking about sacred. I'm talking about holy, meaning distinct. The other nations around them didn't understand this. Just do nothing for a day. Don't work for a day. That was a that was a new concept. It was a new idea. And not only did they not rest, not, not only did they find rest and, and, and set a time aside for rest, but they rested their land. They rested their resources. They rested their assets. They rested everything. Why? Because God rested. If God, who is all powerful, sovereign, omnipotent, all knowing, omniscient, El Elyon, the possessor of the heavens and the earth, all of that. If God in Genesis chapter two on the seventh day rested, who are we to think that we're better than God? To think that we can just work and work and work and work and not rest. Resting is a spiritual discipline. And yet we have been encultured to believe that resting is something that we should feel guilty for. There are those of us who actually, when we take a day off and do nothing, it's a point of shame. Like we won't even tell anyone that we're not doing anything today. Because if we tell anyone that we're not working today, well, that's a bad thing. The generation before us celebrated work. As a matter of fact, we, it, didn't, it didn't matter whether we were productive or not. We just, we can at least say we worked, we worked, we worked. Man, I've been working, I've been grinding, I've been hustling. Man, I worked like 12 hours and it's a point of pride for us. Like we're, it's like, I worked, man. I've been working hard. I've been hustling. I've been grinding. 
not realizing that we've turned work into an idol. Not realizing that our work does not lead to productivity. Let me give you some Bible real quick. I'm ranting, guys. If you guys can, I know I'm going over time today, but just give me like another like 20 minutes. This is one thing I want to share and I want to get to what Shannon was mentioning. But I, I, I feel like I got to dig into this real quick because all through what we just read just now, there's one principle over and over and over again. God was asking them to set time aside for rest. That was the principle. Set time aside for rest. And the reason why many of us do not rest is because we believe if we take the day off, we produce less. If we take a day off, we make less money. If we take a day off and do nothing, then we're being unproductive. It is the pride in our hearts and culture has made this um, has made this a part of who we are, that we would believe that our success comes out of our work. Lies. Does it mean we don't work? No. Do we work hard? Absolutely, we work hard. But our productivity does not come out of our work. It only comes from God. Verse, one man sows, another man waters, but it is God who brings the increase. And for many of us, we have been, we, the the reason why we're so anxious and the reason why we're so um, irritated and irritable is because we didn't learn the principle. This is the law of God. This is how God created us. He created us to rest. He created us to rest. Oh, but if I take a day off, less is going to get done not realizing that he is the vine. We are the branches. And apart from him, we can do nothing. Resting. Ready for this? Is a spiritual discipline. It's not a matter of righteousness, whether you're going to heaven or not, or anything like that. This is a matter of your time here on earth. Finding rest requires you to discipline yourself and to say, God, I'm just going to give this time to you. When we rest, what we're submitting is we're submitting to the reality that we can do nothing without God. These ordinances and these rituals are continual reminders to us about the character of God. Family, do you not realize that if God took time to rest, why do we feel like we're more powerful than God? Jesus was on the boat and he was swimming. Sorry, swimming. He was sleeping, swimming. I've been up since 3 a.m., y'all, so stay with me. Baby duties. Jesus slept on the boat. There are those of us who cannot find rest because of the storms in our lives. Because somehow we think staying up and stressing about it is going to somehow fix the problem. 
I'll share one quick story. Um, this was maybe six years ago now. Wow, that time flies. Seven years, seven years ago. Um, a couple of my friends came over our place to watch. We were watching Star Wars. I'm a Star Wars geek. So we we set it all up, you know, and apparently I think either one of the guys had left something in their car and no, it was Berlin. So Berlin had left something in her car and she had parked next to my car. So we're all set up and she goes downstairs to go get her stuff. And, you know, we're all like, you know, on my couch, we're getting ready to watch uh, Star Wars because the next Star Wars movie is coming out and we have to binge through all the other Star Wars because that's what we do. That's like our thing. Uh, we just binge through all the Star Wars movies as the next one comes out. Anyway, so we sit down. She comes up and she says to me, Isaac, your car is gone. And I said, to her, what do you mean my car is gone? She said, your car is gone. It's not there. It was next to my car. Now it's not there. So we go downstairs. I look car's gone. I'm like, what happened? I asked a security guard who was in our property. He was like, um, I don't know. I said, you didn't see someone come in and break in and take my car, steal my car. Like you said, I just call the police, call the cops. So, you know, what I did, I called the cops, called the police. Police showed up, filed a report. After I filed a report, um, they said, well, you can check in tomorrow. I said, okay. I went back upstairs. I said, well, let's watch the movie. And everyone turned around and looked at me like, bro, how can you watch a movie? Your car just got stolen. Your car is gone. And I looked at him. I said, I've done everything I could. There's nothing else I can do. We had plans to watch a movie. Let's watch the movie. I'll deal with tomorrow's problems tomorrow. Until this day, they've always said this. They said, Isaac, you have a way of just not caring. I said, no, it's not that I don't care. It's when I realize I've done everything I could. Now I rest. <laughs> I leave it to God now. <laughs> Tomorrow I'll follow up. Tomorrow I'll call. I'll do everything I can, but stressing doesn't fix the problem. And yet, somehow, we have programmed our minds to think if we work hard, if we stress, we think a lot if we do if we just so we live in this perpetual unease and discomfort because somehow my being uncomfortable will help solve the problem and it doesn't one more thing and then i'm going to get to my other point what if i told you that if you rested more god would do more through your rest If you rested more, God would do more through your rest because your rest is your sacrifice to God. Your time of worship and sacrifice is in your rest. And when you rest, what you're giving God permission to do is to do more with what he has given you. Some of us are actually holding God back from doing more through us because we're getting in the way by stressing and not resting. We, 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 we get so busy that we don't even see what the next step is. Is everybody catching what I'm saying here? Later on, we'll see uh, in the scriptures when 
the scriptures tell us not only does God give, give us the increase, but that he is our rest. He is our Sabbath. Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the God of the Sabbath. He is Sabbath. And on the seventh day, the Lord rested. From then on, the Lord was in perpetual rest. I say this to you, to illuminate you to the principle as we've been reading through Leviticus, Leviticus 23 and 24, is notice that resting is a giving it to God, is a submitting it to God. Are there, is there a time to work? Is, there's absolutely a time to work. The scriptures tell us that there's a time to work and there's a time to rest. The scriptures tell us there's a time to work and a time to rest. And yet we never choose our time to rest. So we die ahead of our, we, we die early because we work hard. You ever notice that you can work hard and get nothing done? I know I'm ranting. I'm going to sit here for a minute because, because we have turned work into an idol. We've turned work into an idol. And every time now, and now when you see success, man, it's because I worked hard, man. I worked hard. Have you not realized that all the great destiny moves in your life had nothing to do with what you did? It was a door that just opened before you. Have you ever noticed that things just came before you? And it's when those things came before you, you just walked through it because God was opening those doors. Have you ever noticed that where God elevates you and the things that you've been called to do and that you've elevated and moved up in had very little to do with how hard you worked and had everything to do with just you having perspective and saying, oh, wow, look at this opportunity. Guys, you know, TikTok came to me from my time of rest. Okay. You, I can say, well, I hit a ministry wall. I didn't know what the next step of ministry was and this and this and that. I'm just pressing on. I'm pressing on. I was working hard. And the Lord told me last year, Isaac, you need to develop a rhythm of rest. And for me, when I'm, as I'm preaching this to you, I had to learn this myself. Okay. I had to learn this myself. I went through an entire study on the Sabbath and I realized that I did not live in Sabbath. And the Lord told me that, th- that, that 2020 was going to be a year of Sabbath for me. And so what did I do? I disciplined myself in resting. I unapologetically rested. I rested uh, every seventh day. I picked, a, I, picked a, I picked a day to do nothing. Just watch TV, spend time at home and do nothing. Just be a bum because <laughs> that was my discipline. And then every seventh week, I'd spend the whole week resting. Every seventh week. I just spent the whole entire, I just took the week off. There, and going into the second week, there were things that needed to get done. There was stuff on my to-do list. There was all kinds of stuff. Meetings, I just canceled them. I literally just canceled meetings, canceled activities. Just didn't even look at my to-do list and would choose something to binge watch on. And then the seventh month, and you're going to see that this year and last year I did it as well. July, seventh month, I just rest the whole month. I literally just take the month off. Now, I'm not saying everybody has that liberality, but that's the liberality I was given because I was working so hard that it was bringing me. It was it was affecting my health. It was affecting my peace. I could not rest. I was a I was I had functional anxiety. It's until later on, I realized that for, for about four years, I was dealing with anxiety, but I was a functioning. I was functioning, but I was anxious all the time, stressed all the time. So I gave it all up, gave it all 
up in its totality. And in my seventh, um, and in my seventh month in July, I'm resting. The entire year, I'm doing almost nothing. I know everybody was stressing about COVID. My, I couldn't. I, I used to travel a lot. We traveled all around the world, preaching and ministering. Didn't get a chance to do that. Couldn't do any of that. I had no income coming in. I just didn't know what was next. But I just said, you know what? I'm just gonna just rest. I could stress, but I'm gonna rest. That's what I'm gonna do. And I rested. And then uh, July, I was sitting there and I'm like, what's this TikTok thing? This is my time. Around. I, I'm, I don't know. I'm not even a social media guy. Yeah, I preached that. Actually, I think I preached that Hillsong. I preached that Hillsong. I think it was like a week or two before COVID struck. I'm not now. I'm losing track, but whatever. And and so and so, I literally July. I was like, "What's this TikTok thing?" You know, and I just put on. I just boom. You know, I went on TikTok. I'm like, okay, let's see. For me, I thought it was just people doing dances. That's all I thought TikTok was all about. So I was like, oh, look at these people. Yeah, okay, it's fun. And then it was funny. And I spent hours. You know, you get that thing on TikTok where it tells you, "Hey, you should take a break now. Go get a drink. Go use the bathroom. You know, all that stuff." I was that guy. Same thing. I was like. Don't you tell me what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch TikToks for the rest of the day. And I just rested. And at the end of the week, I was literally just laying down in bed. And I just shared a word of encouragement. I said, you know what? I'm seeing some Bible people here, too. I'm seeing some teachers. And wow, that's an opportunity to preach the gospel here. And this is cool. But then there were people that were not really preaching the gospel. I didn't really like what they were teaching. But I was like, you know what? I'm just... I, okay, and then I started seeing more. Then I said, "Wait, I see a lot of people who are Bible thumpers. I see a lot of good gospel teachers as well. I see a lot, but then I, I don't see anyone just giving words of encouragement, like just words of encouragement from a biblical concept, a context." And I was like, "You know what? Let me just encourage somebody." And so I just went on TikTok and just encouraged somebody. That's all I did. Just, hey guys, I just want to encourage you today. Long story short, in my time of rest, I had a TikTok. By by August, I had a full blown TikTok. I became a TikToker. I didn't even know what that was. Didn't even know what that was. During my year of rest, incredible doors opened up. Literally, I'm I'm seeing now just doors opening up in so many directions outside of TikTok, outside of just partnerships and people who are coming. And and I'm going. Wait, hold on. I've been busting my butt for three years to try to kick off this vision, this ministry. And I've dealt with all these challenges and all this stuff. And God's like, sit down, be still and know that I am God. And that's what I'm doing. Guys, I am as still as it gets now. I say no to a lot of things. Anytime I begin to feel any kind of anxiety, I pray. I, I have been at peace. I live in Sabbath. I don't have a day designated in Sabbath. My life is a Sabbath. I go home when I desire. Have I gone through a lot of pain in the process? Absolutely. But the Lord is teaching me something in this season. He will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. He will take care of me. I will not sacrifice my children, my destiny, my family, 
my marriage, my wife. I'm not going to sacrifice all these things. And so you know what I say? I rest. But what about the church? And the church needs this and the church needs that. No, Jesus loves his church more than I love Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus loves his church more than I do. So now I'm not, a, I'm not here to save anybody. I don't run trying to save anybody. The Lord's got this. That's my rant. But notice why. And I'm going to leave. I'm leave that. And then I want to point one thing out because Shannon, I know I got you hanging here. So let me see if I can, if I can, um, where is it? Where is it? Uh, the year of Jubilee, man, we Jubilee's for another day. I just want to make sure we, we stuck with that. But again, the Jubilee was rooted in the principle of rest. Um, uh, Keep the Sabbath of the land. Oh, my goodness. There's so much here. Uh, and in verse 23, when he talks about the Sabbath of the land, he says in, in Leviticus 25, 23, the land shall not be sold permanently. The land shall not be sold permanently. Why? For the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. Remember, principles, laws, principles, laws. Why does the land, why does the land have a Sabbath? The land has a Sabbath because the land is not yours. The land is not sold permanently because the land is not yours. Ready for this? For some people who are asking right now, I know I, it would take me a while to break the whole thing down, but I just want you to leave, just, just have this word. Maybe we'll break it down as we read later on because I don't have the time for it. But there's somebody right now who's asking the question, how do I find that kind of rest? Like there's somebody right now who's going, Pastor, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing about this rest thing and, and I get it, man. I... But how do you, how do I experience that kind of rest? How do I get there? Because I can't get there. I don't, I don't know how to get there. Here's how you experience rest. When you realize that it's not yours. Did you hear that? Because it's not yours. That business that you're starting. It's not yours. It's God's. The ministry that you're starting is not yours. It's God's. The children that you're raising, they're not your kids. It's God's. Your wife, it's not your possession. She's God's. Your husband is not your possession. He's God's. You're just a steward. True freedom and true rest comes out of you acknowledging that you own nothing. This is so powerful. Nothing is yours. Nothing is yours. Your money isn't yours. 
Your home isn't yours. Your kids are not yours. Your job isn't yours. Your family, none of that is yours. It's not yours. It's God's. And God is saying, give those things rest because the reason why the land rests is because it's not yours, it's mine. The discipline of rest comes out of you being reminded that even your time isn't yours. Even your time. I mean, I don't have time. Your time was never yours. And the reason why you're so anxious and the reason why you can't find rest is because you're holding on to something that's not even yours. Did you hear me? The reason why I can, I can, I can give the land away. The reason why I can forgive debt, even debt isn't yours. The land, God is saying to them, the land that you're in is mine. And because the land is mine, this is how you administrate it. This is how you find rest. You find rest when you actually give it to God. Like literally, give God what is his. Just give it back to him. Your finances, give it to God. Your family, give it to God. There's there's about 30 people in here right now who right now, they don't know what to do. Their kids are driving them crazy. They feel like they're losing their children. There's about two or three people right now in this chat who's, who's going, oh my goodness, my children are dealing with suicidal thoughts. I don't know what to do anymore. My children have anxiety. There's a person right here. I want to know who it is. And I'm going to get to you, Shannon. But there's somebody right, there's somebody watching right now who their child was recently Baker acting. And it's giving you incredible anxiety. Um, it's giving you incredible anxiety. And the, the reason why it's making you so anxious is because you're, too, you're, you're still trying to own it as if it's yours. It's not yours. It's God's. You are a steward of everything that God gives you, but you don't own anything. True rest is found in the awareness that you are the owner of nothing but the steward of everything. You are a steward. You are a manager. If God blesses you with incredible wealth, there's some people here, God has blessed you with incredible wealth. It's not yours. It's God's. There's some people here who have been blessed with incredible artistic gifts. It's not yours. It's God's. Notice how liberating that becomes when you realize this is God's. He just gave this to me to steward. That's it. And there you find rest. There you find rest. The principle of and the law of Sabbath, not the rules of the Sabbath. <laughs> Savvy mom, I'm praying for you because the Lord wants to reveal more to you through your son. 
We live in a day and age now where sexuality. What 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 the what, this is what the enemy has done, savvy mom. And I want I'm just this is a word of advice for you. And then I want to share one last thought because I did not forget you, Shannon. Um, I want to share one last thought. Um, when it comes to sexuality, here's what the enemy has done. The enemy has said that you are what you are attracted to. Let me say that again. I try to make this as simple as I can. We, our current cultural stream has defined people by what they're attracted or who they're attracted to and defined people by certain predilections that they have. So because they've connected people to that, the anxiety in your son is if he has same-sex attraction somehow there's something wrong with him because he is the attraction or he is what he's attracted to so mom I'm giving you a word of advice as you're navigating through this first be at peace because your son is God's your son let me say this one more time your son is God's. I'm going to tell you something else, Savvy Mom. Jesus loves your son more than you do. As much as you love him, Jesus loves your son more than you. He loves your son more than you. He loves your son with his same-sex attraction more than you do. I know you love your son. You love him. You love him like crazy. (laughs) Ah, You love him like crazy. And you feel like you failed him. Somehow you're asking, what did you do wrong? What happened? How did we get here? It's not your story. Jesus loves your son more than you savvy mom. And he loves your son with the same-sex attraction. He loves him. Here's the thing. He is not what he's attracted to. He's a child of God. See, that's the difference. The enemy, what the enemy's trying to do. Um, no, Michelle, is, is, maybe we, we, could, we could do a whole thing on 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 same-sex attraction and you know, what's happening there, what's going on there, because there's a lot of just, there's there's very, I see very little gospel-centered teaching on on that kind of thing. And and so I'm sorry for, for many who are part of the LGBTQ community. I, I'm, I'm so sorry for how Christians have dealt with you because a lot of them just don't know the gospel. And they've come to you with condemnation because again, they're falling into the stream of thought of today's society that equates people to what they're attracted to. And and so how do we break through that? We break through that by loving them for who they are, not for what they're attracted to. You got to separate the two. So the moment you equate what people do to who they are, 
you're following you're, you're falling into the same principality that governs this culture today's culture that's why people can't be liberated or freed from these things because the moment that they feel those things or they have those thoughts or they have those uh those emotions and and they have those attractions they start going what's wrong they start asking what's wrong with me and their response to it is is then it can't be what's wrong with me it's what's wrong with everybody else because this is who I am. You see what's wrong with that? That's the problem. Tracy, love him. Love him unconditionally, Tracy. Love him unconditionally. This is for every parent that's dealing with that, for every parent, um, for every person right now who's struggling through that. You, you don't know what to do with that. Ready for this? God does not define you by what you're attracted to. He defines you by what he puts within you. His seed is in you. His spirit is in you. God will transform you. But he accepts you to transform you. You might understand that. And so it begins there. That's why I, you know, again, I, this is, you know, it's a hot button topic. A lot of people have all these very strong opinions about it. But here's one thing that no one can refute is that Jesus loves your son, savvy mom. Jesus loves your son. And so here's how you minister to your son. Okay. Cause now you're going to let God do the work because God can transform people. Savvy mom. God can transform people to his image. He transforms them not by condemnation and not by the law. He transforms them by his love. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. So this is what you're going to do, Sevimo. And I'm going to pray that the spirit of God would be with you um, as you journey um, in this. And I understand that how difficult it is and how challenging it may be. But God wants to use you to be an image of Christ for her. So what you're going to do, Sevimo, is you're going to tell your son that you love him. You love him more than anything in the world because Jesus loves him more than anything and after you tell him that you love him more than anything you're going to pray for him that God will reveal his character to him let God do the work get out of the way let God do the work and get out of the way Father I just pray that you would be with savvy mom right now or that you would give her wisdom Give her wisdom as she navigates through this uh, challenging time, uh, a time that's challenging to her faith as well. Um, these are these are difficult times. But Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would break that divide, the divide that has been created, Lord, by the condemnation of the enemy. Father, I pray that you would break that and that you would loose that in the name of Jesus. I pray even in this moment, Lord, as she's navigating, seeking wisdom through this, I pray that your love would abound in all things. Lord, that while she remains firm to her faith in who you've called her to be and who you've called her son to be, I pray, Lord, that you would Lord, be the corporeal image, the love of God through her to her son. Father, I ask right now, Lord, that you would break every chain of brokenness, that you would break every chain of bondage, that you would come that that we, we speak against that right now in the name of Jesus. We come against that right now in the name 
of Jesus. Um, I'm praying for you. Okay. I got one last thing I want to share. Um, because Shannon, I'm keeping my promise. I don't know if Shannon's still here. She might've left cause you know, I, I had her holding for a minute. Um, and it's, it's just one last thought tomorrow. We continue on with this. Okay. Um, um, I look forward to hearing your son's testimony, savvy mom. Um, it is not a point of shame. This is an opportunity for the grace of God to do the work of transformation. This is not on you now. This is on the spirit of God. So you're going to pray for your son. Okay. You're going to pray for your son. Hmm, I'm excited for that. Okay. So good, Shannon, you're here. Um, so the, the, the Jubilee laws, we're not going to get into all that. Um, the Jubilee laws, I, I'm, I'm sorry. It, it would take a, that's a whole Bible study in and of itself. Okay. Uh, but in the Jubilee laws, there's a laws concerning um, slavery. Yes, Greg, we're here every morning, every morning from 8 a.m. Usually I'm done at nine, but I'm still here. Uh, we're way over time and y'all still here. So you guys are soldiers. Bless y'all. Uh, bless you, Shannon. I know I'm way over time, but you're still here. Uh, I appreciate you hanging. I've been ranting, um, but I had some thoughts I had to share and I had to make sure we got it all in there. Um, and you know what? Maybe we'll, we'll spend some time tomorrow as well. I'm going to spend some time tomorrow uh, with prophetic prayer. Um, I want to pray for, for, for you guys. Um, so maybe because there's only two chapters. We'll get through two chapters, get through the rant. Eight. So from eight to nine Eastern Standard Time. Eastern Standard Time. Okay. So Shannon. Um, so uh, two things. Well, one thing I'm trying to see if I can get this all in because this is a lot. So let me see if I can break this down. One thing I want to mention. Children of Israel are being given a law, a set of ordinances that would bring them back into the presence of a holy God. The priests, if you notice at the beginning, the priests came into the presence of God in their own way and they were burned. Meaning, the presence of God can either be a blessing or a curse, depending on how you come to the presence of God. If you do not come to the presence of God um, correct, then the presence of God becomes a curse. Um, and what is coming correct? They teach you that the uh, coming correct is to come sanctified. And how do you come sanctified? With the atoned propitiation. So they come into the presence of God. So while the presence of God was illuminating and beautiful, the presence of God burned the priest because the priest came in their own way with their own practices, not following the ordinance and the practice of what causes them or what leads them back into the presence of God. So you, you've got the priest. And then leading up now to that, we see that the atonement, that coming to the presence of God was not about how you behaved or how you lived or whether or not you did all things right, but it was whether you came with the payment, the blood payment, the atonement. Out of that now, the, the, the text, Leviticus starts off with them seeing the presence of God, but not being able to enter into the presence of God. And now it ends, we're seeing now, 
the access back into the presence of God after um, um, uh, Leviticus 17. They, they're given access through the atonement back into the presence of God. Now, out of that, they begin to live out these laws and these ordinances. <sighs> There's so much here. So here are things to get back into the presence of God through the payment of sin. They now have the power to live out what the atonement had accomplished. Did you catch that? So the way they lived was out of the atonement. Okay. Now that they knew that the, the blood was paid for and that, 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 that the, the, the sacrifice was made and now, now this is how they ought to live. So the way they lived came out of the sacrifice that was made. I don't know if anybody sees where, where that's going, but I'll leave that there. Leviticus is closing out with given the atonement and the work of the atonement. These are the ways that we ought to live. If I have access to God, then my access to God and my relationship with God coincides with my relationship with people. We see this. We, we see the thread of this throughout the, 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 these, these last chapters is that out of now the justice of God being fulfilled by the righteousness, sorry, by the blood sacrifice, the justice of God being fulfilled by the blood sacrifice out of the justice of God. Now comes our justice with each other. Would it be weird to you guys? For those of you who are staying, you guys are double dippers because you guys stay for a double session. Basically for those of you um, who are here, if you want to write it down in your notes, whatever it is, wherever in the Bible, you see the word justice. It's also the same word that is used for righteousness. The word justice and righteousness are both the same word. Meaning when we say that God is righteous, we're saying that God is just. He embodies justice. Okay. And so if God embodies justice and if that's the very character of God, then out of his justice being fulfilled in us being in relationship with him, out of that flows our justice with each other. That is our relationship with God. That's why you can't be righteous and be unjust. Okay. It's not possible. You can't say, well, I've been righteous in Christ, but then you, you, you're okay with injustice. You can't, you can't be okay with injustice and say that you're in righteousness and you can't experience or speak into justice if it isn't the righteousness of God. That's why there's a lot of social justice movements. All these social justice movements aren't really righteous movements and therefore they're not really justice. Righteousness is the very character of God. That's who God is. And so we see the righteousness of God that now flows to the people through the sacrifice of the blood offering and out of that righteousness now flows our righteousness among one another. That's our justice with each other. So what we're seeing that's closing out in Leviticus is how now people ought to live with each other in result of the righteousness and the justice that God 
as fulfilled in us. I don't know if that made sense. I know I'm, I'm moving really fast. So um, if you want to catch it, catch it on the font group. Uh, sorry, the font everywhere Facebook group. You can catch it there because um, it'll be saved there. So why is this important? Because now we're seeing these laws. These laws are coming out of the embodied righteousness of God that now flows through the people by the blood sacrifice or the atonement. Notice now that if we're talking about justice, we're not talking about just rightishness. We're talking about literally the character of God. And if we're talking about the very character of God, then what the year of the Jubilee is, is the consequence of what happens out of our Sabbath and out of the sacrifice. Ooh, that's another conversation for another day is justice. And notice that God's justice is not defined by what we think is right and wrong. God's justice is embodied in his character. Okay. It's embodied in his character. And so notice here that if there's justice, notice justice has many dimensions relationally, sociologically, politically, and economically. And so what the Jubilee is all about is the reordering of the justice of God in all these dimensions. You can't say there's justice, but there's economic inequality. You can't, because that doesn't embody the character of God, and God shows this here. You, you, you can't say that you're for justice, and yet those who are suffering are being left to the side. You, you can't say that you are righteous and that you embody the justice of God and the character of God and you represent it if you allow forms of injustice to exist. So notice that in the seventh year, in the seventh year, debts were forgiven. Why? Because, ready for this? Oh, man, this is going to be so tough. People are going to really not like me here. Because, you know, if you're if you're all about capitalism and all that, great. That's great. That's awesome. I'm not here to come and come on. I'm not here to fight you on this, okay? I'm not socialist, okay? I'm not communist. I'm not fascist. I'm not any of that. I'm just a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to leave it at that, okay? Because I know people sometimes, they, they get into, well, you know, you can't get into that. Because the reality is, is that capitalism is not fully the fully embodied justice of God. It isn't because it doesn't lead to equality. Um, it may lead to higher standards of living, whatever you manage or define that to be, but it isn't, it isn't it. And, and socialism isn't it either because it's oppressive as well. So they're both broken forms of what man has created to try to institute justice. And yet we're seeing justice embodying the character of God. And that's in things that are so much harder to do. For example, our economic system is driven by debt. Okay. The Federal Reserve is, um, is driven by debt. The very thing that holds our economic systems together is debt. Is debt. Interest rates, debt. Money grows at the rate of debt. So debt, and this is, this is going to be a long rant. This is, this is, this is probably one of my longest rants ever. Um, and so because our economies are governed by debt, this very law itself that embodies the character of God 
would cause our entire economic systems to crumble. Because it literally says that after seven years, you are to forgive the debt. Not, you know, put someone into bankruptcy and, um, you know, put a red mark on their credit and all that. It's We're living in a fallen system. It doesn't embody the character of God. Matter of fact, if we lend someone money, we forgive them whatever the balance is left over. And that's what we see here. In the year of Jubilee is when the debt was forgiven. It was just forgiven. Okay. Because economic systems are forms of injustice. I'm going to sound like a radical. But this is, I'm only giving you Bible here, y'all. Okay, so understand that. Like, I'm not here to, like, go up against the government or anything like that. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm just here to show you that what we see here is economic systems can be oppressive. They can be oppressive. If, if no one agrees, if, 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 if you disagree with that, then you don't fully understand how economic systems work. They can be oppressive. And here we see that. And the way, because even this economic system could be oppressive. So what he, the year of Jubilee was a reset. That's what it was. It was a reset to free and to liberate those who have been bound by debt. Now notice, even for those who lend money, he says, if the person is poor, it's not to say that you can't charge a, a, a fee to lend the money. But if a person is poor, don't even charge them interest. He's literally saying, give them an interest-free loan. So the person is poor, lower the interest, make it zero interest. Isn't that weird how our economic systems today, I'm ranting again, but isn't it weird how our economic systems today, they, the interest rate is higher for those who are poor, right? Predatory lending is, uh, the plight of poorer people, right? Credit card debt is generally higher for those who are poor. And so notice here that this is backwards from the text. The text actually says for those who do not have, you should be charging them less interest to no interest. But again, that's not how our economic systems work because we have systems that charge more for those who are more risky. Risk of what? Of paying back the debt. But didn't it say that even if they owed money at the end, just to give it back to them, just to let it go, forgive them the debt. But that's not the system that we have. Okay? That's not the system that we have. So so this is not to say now, well, we're all evil. We're all No, it's not to say that. We're part of the system. I'm a part of the system. Okay. We're all a part of that system, but it speaks into how unique these people were and what the character of God is. So, um, um, Hey Debbie, I want to correct that real quick. Money is not the root of all evil. Okay. It's not the, 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 the scripture doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. The scriptures tell us that the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay, money is not the root of all. Money can be used to do so much good. It's where our heart is. If we love money, that is the root of all evil. But I, I think I was getting your point. Um, um, but I, I wanted because I, I always hear that 
all the time. No, rich people are not to be, um, those who are wealthy are not to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, demonized. Wealth is a blessing. Okay. Wealth is a blessing to do great things. So don't, 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 don't fall into love of money is the root of all evil. Oh, sorry. Money is the root of all evil because you need money to do things. You need money to do good. You need money to survive. You need, so don't, don't, you know, it's not the money that's a problem. It's the heart behind the money. Now, Shannon, now that we're here, it's a matter of justice. There were other forms of injustice. Okay. And the other form of injustice was not just it was, it was all economic. I'm explaining to you what I mean by that. Because of debt now, if someone, ready? If someone couldn't pay the debt, then they could submit themselves to indentured servitude. Okay? They become servants for the sake of their debt. Um, And we see that in Leviticus 25 verse 39. And if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you. You shall not compel him to serve as a slave. So again, this was a common element of the economic system. Slavery was not like the slavery we see, like Chattel slavery. Slavery was economically driven. It was actually driven by debt. People had to work and they became slaves to pay their debt. But once the debt was paid, then they could be liberated and be free. So again, this is why sometimes we we see that the Bible has been used to propagate, for example, slavery in the United States. It was due to the fact that people were giving improper theology. They weren't teaching the whole scripture. But anyway, here's where it gets a little challenging, Shannon. Okay, they were bond servants. Exactly right, Patty. Where it gets challenging is, he tells them how they ought to, you shall not rule him with rigor, but you shall fear your God. Notice, is he's showing what justice looks like. Fearing the Lord, right? Fearing the Lord aligned with treating your slave with dignity. Remember, not chattel slavery like we see in the United States, but slavery in this context for those who pay who owe a debt. Don't treat them like the rest of the world does. Okay? Fear the Lord, meaning fearing God meant they may be your slave, but you don't treat them that way. You treat them like a member of the family. They eat with you the same way that your children would eat with you. They, this is, this is what he's saying. He's saying, treat them like a member of your family. Okay. It's the part we always miss on. This is how we exercise justice. Okay. But then there is a form of chattel slavery that we see here because there are those who weren't part of the children of Israel, who weren't Israelites and those who weren't Israelites, they could be bought and sold as property, as possessions. We see that here in the text. You shall not rule over him with rigor. And as for your male and female slaves, whom you may have from the nations that are around you, from them you may buy male and female. Remember, from the nations that are around you, from them you may buy male and female slaves. Okay? Stay with me here. Moreover, you may buy the children of strangers who dwell among you and their families. Look at all this property. 
This looks familiar, right? This looks like the transatlantic slave trade. We're going to get there in a minute. And you may take them as an inheritance for your children after you to inherit them as a possession. They shall be your permanent slaves. But regarding your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule over one another with rigor. This is one of the most misappropriated portions of scripture. And Shannon, I only stayed here and I did a little extra time for you because I know you wanted some clarity on it. First, most of the slavery was all driven by economics, not by the buying and selling of people as property. Not like what we saw in the transatlantic slave trade. But this particular verse looks a lot like that. Because it tells us that they were permitted to buy them as property and that they would have, um, that they can own them in perpetuity as property. Okay. But regarding your children. So now the question is, is wait, but they were permitted here. Yes, they were actually permitted here. <laughs> I'm going to get there in a minute. Now, if a sojourner stranger comes close to you and becomes rich, when Abraham dwells in and becomes poor, sorry, after he is sold, he may redeem him again. One of his brothers may redeem him. So even when he was a slave, there was the possibility of him being bought back and being redeemed. Again, remember, God's writing a story through his people. So let's back up for a moment. This was not written to us. It was written to the children of Israel. And to the children of Israel, they were permitted for people who were outside of the nation of Israel to be bought and sold as slaves. But for those who were in the family, those who were in, that is, those who were children of Israel, not a single one can be bought and sold as slavery. And if any of them serve as servants because of the debt that they owed, then uh, because of the debt that they owed, then um, they should be treated as family and not as a slave. So let me remind you of this, Shannon. We have something better than they have. First of all, this doesn't apply. This would only apply to the Israelites. That's the first thing we have to point out. It only applies to the children of Israel. It would not apply to any, you know, any uh, Englishman who came to the United States and brought slaves from Africa over as slaves. It wouldn't apply to any of them anyway. So let's start with that. It would have never applied to them. Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing is for those that it applied to, it doesn't apply to anymore. What do I mean by that? For those who are in the family of God, who are children of God, they cannot be treated as property. If they're children of God, they cannot be treated as property. You see, we are one family and one nation now, not by blood. I'm, I'm cheating here going into the New Testament. We are one family, not by blood, but by faith. 
And because we are one family by faith, anyone who professes faith in Christ and anyone who embodies the spirit of God, who carries the spirit of God, cannot be sold as slaves and should never be sold as slaves. The Bible never permits that for those who are in the family of God. Are you with me so far? And notice the distinction that's made here in the text. When it talks about when an animal is lost, you can replace it with another animal. But if another human being who carries the spirit of God is killed, then another must die in his place. Meaning the human being is not treated in the same way that an animal is treated. Animals can be held as property, but those who carry the very spirit and the presence of God cannot. I hope that was helpful. Um,